0: Good morning, if you want to follow along in your own Bible or Bible app, um, we're going to be looking, starting anyway, at the first three verses of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, there should be one in the rack in front of you or nearby, Uh, help yourself, we would love to give that to you, make that our gift to you, just put your name in it, take it home, and read it, so that's, that's what those are there for. Um, so Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're looking at these verses to help us celebrate the main thing in Christmas. When I say main thing, I do not mean the holiday, and I do not mean um, <laughs> the, the exchanging of gifts, Uh, And I don't even mean the gatherings that we have with loved ones, friends, and family. By the main thing, the main thing we want to celebrate in Christmas is the person, the person who was born, the most amazing person who has ever been born. So let's look together at Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Long ago... and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As we uh, saw last time, um, I'll just mention it again, these descriptions of the son of God are just amazing they are they say amazing things about him and we're just focusing in on those descriptions and what they say the two descriptions I want to look at this time are in verse 2 whom he appointed the heir of all things and then verse 3 after making purification for sins He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what are these descriptions trying to tell us? What are they teaching us? Well, you take them together, and you can say it like this. Jesus, the Son of God, is your rescuer and ruler. Jesus, the Son of God, is your rescuer and ruler. And just like last time when we looked at Jesus being your maker and sustainer, I want to deal with two questions. First, uh, what does it mean? And the second question, what difference does it make? So first, what does it mean that Jesus is your rescuer and ruler? Well, to put it simply, what it means is that Jesus is the king that God promised to give his people. Jesus is the promised king, the king promised uh, all through Scripture. And you might look at these verses and say, well, where did you get that? Well, so what's happening here is that these verses are assuming that we know something of the background, the rich background in Scripture in the Old Testament, on the issue of kingship for God's people. And looking at this background, it, it kind of reminds me of looking at a mosaic. You know what a mosaic is? You know, uh, an image that's made up of a bunch of little tiles, and uh, each one of those tiles contributes to the overall image. I think we've got a picture of it. So if you, if you looked at, and you might look and say, well, what is that? I see a bunch of little pieces, little colored tiles. But then if you back out a little further, it starts to take shape. And if you back out even further, you see the whole thing. And so these, these tiles, these uh, mosaic pieces in Scripture, as we look at them, the image that's going to emerge is that of a majestic king a -a one-of-a-kind king for the people of God. Now we're going to see the first tile in the account that we have of of God bringing his people, uh, the Israelites, the, the children of Israel, out of slavery in the land of Egypt through Moses and As God does that, through Moses, he gives his people instructions, his Torah, his his law. And what God is doing is, God's aim is to reveal himself to the whole world, to all the nations. And he's going to do it through one nation by making them different from every other nation. And that's what holy means when God says, you shall be holy for I am holy. You shall be different. You shall be set apart, distinct. Their difference would be because they, be, they belong to him, the one true God, and they would demonstrate that difference by their keeping of his Torah, his instructions. What that means when we deal with the issue of kingship is that their king was needing to be different from all the other kings of all the other nations. And that that difference, there was basically two important qualifications the king would have to meet. First, he would have to be chosen by God himself, and then he would have to rule or govern God's people according to God's word. So the first tile, Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over all the nations, like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. And then down to verse 19. He is to read it, namely the Torah, God's law, you read that in context, all the days of his life. Why? So that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Unfortunately, the first king of Israel, Saul, failed to be this kind of king. Now, he met the first qualification, but then not the second. So 1 Samuel 10.1, we'll see the first. Then Samuel the prophet took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, And said, has not the Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their enemies. So we can see Saul meets the first qualification. He's chosen by God. That's what this anointing is all about. Uh, Anointing is putting oil on someone's head, uh, as a way of setting them apart, making them distinct. In this case, putting someone in a position of responsibility. So we don't do that in our country. You know, when someone gets elected to an office, uh, they take an oath of, oath of office. They get sworn in. That's kind of their you know, taking that position, getting set apart for that. Well, in Israel, kings were anointed. Anointed to take their positions. And just notice Saul's job description. Did you see it? The end of the passage, he's going to reign over the people of Yahweh, God's people, and he's going to save them from their enemies. Rescue and rule. That's the job of the king. So Saul met the first qualification, but he failed on the second. He did not. Follow carefully all of God's words. So, 1 Samuel 13, You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you if you had. He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So now we learn there's gonna be a new leader and that brings us to the next tile in the mosaic David and in the history of God's people David is in a class all by himself it is David's line that is going to endure his throne and uh, if he ask, well okay why why is david special what makes him special well it's not that he was chosen by god because saul was chosen by god and it's not that david followed carefully all the words of the lord because he didn't in fact he blows it really dramatically if you know the story he's guilty of both adultery and murder and yet his throne endures Well, what's different about him? Well, we're told he has a heart for the Lord, but that didn't keep him from blowing it. No, there's something he has that's even far more important. He has a promise from God. A promise from God. And that is so important for us to grasp. He didn't earn the promise. And we don't earn God's promises either. They are promises of grace, undeserved, unearned. They come to us because God chooses to give them to us. It's so critical that we understand that. That's what happens to David. If you want to understand what the verses in Hebrews are telling us about Jesus, you've got to understand this promise that God made to David. So 2 Samuel verse 7 Speaking through the prophet Nathan, God says to David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. Talking about the temple. he, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. Notice the language. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. Isn't this interesting? So this is talking about Solomon. And Solomon's going to blow it. And God says, I'll discipline him. But then he says, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This promise is the key tile in the Mosaic. This ties all the other promises about kingship for God's people together. It tells us that David's throne will never come to an end, no matter how many subsequent kings of Israel blow it, no matter how much the people disobey, no matter how broken and scattered they become, God's people will be ruled by a son of David. Why? Because God promised. Because God promised. Don't look for the answer in the people. Look for the answer in the one who made the promise. And as you go then through the rest of the Scripture, this promise is repeated and expanded but we never as we work our way through the old testament we never see this promise completely fulfilled good kings come good kings go david's line endures but we never see it fulfilled and so god's people by the time we get to the new testament god's people are still asking where is this king who was promised Where is this son of David these scriptures are talking about? Say, what scriptures? Well, let's look at some. More tiles. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against Yahweh, the Lord, and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, and then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion. That's the hill that Jerusalem sits on. My holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Now, this is the king. This is the anointed one speaking. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He, God said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. We think that this song, this psalm was quoted or sung when the new king ascended to his throne. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You see how this is expanding the promise? He's not just going to be the king of Israel. He's going to be heir of the nations. He's going to have the ends of the earth as his possession. In other words, I will appoint you heir of all things. Sound familiar? Hebrews 1. Another one, Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord, that's Yahweh, God of Israel, says to my Lord, David says, Yahweh says to my Lord, that's the king. Well, wait a minute, David's the king. Who's he talking about? Sit at my right hand. That's the symbolic place of ultimate authority. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, your footstool. One more, Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I should have uh, quoted verse 7 too. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. Now there are other passages we could look at. But these are enough tiles to see the portrait. It's the image of a king in the line of David whom God would anoint and call his son and seat at his right hand to rescue his people and rule over them forever. So do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? When he uses words like son, heir of all things, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, what's he doing? Where did he get these words? He got them from the passages about the king that was promised to God's people. Why is he doing that? To show us that Jesus is that one. Jesus is the king God promised for his people and he's a king far greater than david do you see the hints of that those pointers look look this is so great look at how jesus points this out to the religious leaders of his day okay so in matthew 22:41, 41 now while the pharisees the religious leaders were gathered together jesus asked them a question they were always asking him questions this is when he kind of flips it and says oh, i got a question for you What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, stop just for a moment. The word Christ means anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah, the anointed. So, what's Jesus asking them about? He's asking them about the king that they were longing for, the king who would rescue them, the king who would rule over them. That's That's what he's asking. Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Why'd they say that? Well, they knew their Bibles. They knew whose descendant this king would be, this Christ, this Messiah, this anointed one, the promised one. They knew that. And then Jesus goes on. He said to them, how is it then that David, in the Spirit, in other words, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, That's what we believe about Scripture. It ultimately comes from God through His Spirit. David was speaking prophetically. They knew that. They said, well, yeah, when he talks about, you know, the person he's talking about there is the Messiah, is the Lord. Okay, well, how then does David in the Spirit call Him Lord, saying, now he's going to quote Psalm 110, the Lord that is Yahweh, God of Israel, says to my Lord, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And nobody was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. (laughs) Yeah, it's hilarious. They're stumped. They're like, uh yeah why does he because they knew they knew that there's no way david the one who got these promises is going to call one of his sons or grandsons or even later descendants lord unless he's not merely a man So David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, and Isaiah 9 and the other prophets and the other scriptures that we don't have time to look at right now, they're all saying Messiah will be greater than David. He will be both his son and more than his son. That's why Hebrews says, that Jesus is both the Son of David, heir of all things, seated at the right hand of God, and also Son of God in an utterly unique way, because he shares his Father's nature perfectly. And That's what we hope to unpack more next time. But the point is, because of who he is, because of who he is, he alone, He alone is the one who is able to deliver us from our enemies and rule over our lives for good. And see, now that's where this starts to connect to us. Because if you've been sitting there thinking, okay, we're looking at a lot of verses about Jesus being the king of Israel. What's that got to do with me? Well, read those passages again. That's why I wrote them on your note sheet. Messiah didn't come just to rule over the nation of Israel. He came to rule over all the nations. He is the heir of all things. Guess what's included in all things? You are. Your life is. And today, Messiah is extending his kingdom spiritually. In the lives of those who receive him by faith in every nation on earth. Do you know that's the big headline going on every day when you never read about it? Messiah is extending his kingdom in every nation. And then one day, he's gonna return physically to extend his kingdom physically over every inch of this planet. Jesus is king. And his kingship definitely connects to you and to me. So now the question is, what difference does that make? What difference does that make? What difference does it make when you personally know Jesus personally as your rescuer and ruler? Just like last time, got a lot we could say about this, but... I have to limit myself to two things. First, when you know Jesus as your rescuer and ruler, you trust him to deliver you from your enemies. You trust him to deliver you from your enemies. So many of you probably know the story of David and Goliath. If you don't know, uh, there's a time when The army of Israel is up on one hill, and the army of their bitter enemies, the Philistines are on another hill, and there's a valley in between, the valley of Elah, and those of us who got to go to Israel got to see that, it was pretty cool, and there's this big depression right in the middle of the valley where Goliath fell, you can still see it, I'm lying, that's not true at all, (laughs) Um, but you can see the valley. So, the Israelites are on one hill, The, the Philistines are on another hill, There's no tactical advantage. You try to go and attack the other hill, you're going to get slapped. So nobody's moving. But down in the middle of the valley here is this gigantic warrior of the Philistines. And he tells the Israelites, hey, send down a guy and we'll go at it, mano y mano, and whoever wins, they win the battle. And nobody from Israel will go. Until... David shows up, whom, unbeknownst to everyone there, but known to us, because we just read in the previous passage, the previous chapter, that he's the anointed, he's the one, and he shows up, and he takes on Goliath, and takes him down, now, where are we to see ourselves in that story see what what we often do what people often do is read it and think oh man I need to be more like David I need to be like David I need that kinda faith to fight the Giants in my life well yes it's true that you need faith and it's true that David demonstrates great faith here uh, but that's really not the main point of the story you know who we're really like in that story The other Israelites on the top of the hill desperately needing deliverance, a deliverance that they can't accomplish. And so God sends his anointed to win the battle for them. They need God's anointed to deliver them. You know what? We need the same thing. That's what we need, and that's what we have in Jesus the Christ, the Anointed One. Yes, by all means, imitate David's faith. But you've got to know this. God hasn't called you to defeat all of your enemies because you have enemies you can't possibly beat. That's what Jesus does. Say, what enemies? Well, your deadliest enemy is sin. Sin is your worst enemy because sin separates from God, and unforgiven sin separates from God forever. Now, we sometimes think we don't take sin that seriously. We think that's not that bad, especially if it's fun. That is such a lie. That is such a lie. Listen, sin always always ruins sin always hurts sin always destroys sin always leads you away from God's best for you and if your sin until your sins are forgiven you are disconnected from God you're spiritually dead you're dead to him and so for you to say, well, I just need faith like David. You, you, you can't beat sin. You can't do it on your own. You cannot. You're dead. You can't make yourself alive. But Jesus, the Christ, will beat it for you. Back to Hebrews 1.3. After he made purification for sins. Whose sins? Not his. He didn't have any. Ours. He sat down at the right hand. That means he finished it. God's chosen rescuer made purification for your sins, for my sins. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. All. All. Each of us has turned to his own way. I know better than God. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God's anointed. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, if we admit it, if we stop denying it, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because of the anointed made purification for sins so you put your trust if you will put your trust in God's rescuer in his anointed he will rescue you he'll rescue you from sin's penalty now he will rescue you from sin's power every day as you rely on him ask him for his help trust his promises, believe his word. He will deliver you from sin's power. And one day he will deliver you from sin's presence. God's anointed will do that. He'll rescue you from your other enemies too. Say, what enemies? I don't have any enemies. Oh yeah, 1 Peter 5.8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, Satan. Supernatural enemy. You can't beat him. Prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone whom to devour. Resist him. How? Standing firm in the faith. What faith? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, God's rescuer and ruler. Believe his promises. Ask for his help. He'll deliver you. What about when your enemies are other people? Romans 12, 17. Here's how we rely on Jesus, our rescuer. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. It's not our job to settle the score. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to handle our battles the way he tells us to and rely on him to defeat the enemy. So, when you know him as your rescuer and ruler, you trust him to deliver you from your enemies. Number two, you regard him as the highest authority in your life. You regard him as the highest authority in your life. So... Uh, There's something in the first three verses here of Hebrews that we haven't really talked about yet. It says that in the past, God spoke by the prophets, and in these last days, he has spoken by his son. Now, follow this. If God has spoken to us in his son, and if his son is God's promised king, To rescue us and rule over our lives, that means that his words must always take precedence over anyone else's. You see it? God has spoken to us in his Son, and oh, by the way, his Son is heir of all things. By the way, his Son is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He has ultimate authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means what he says always takes precedence over what anybody else says. So it doesn't matter if anyone else or anything else disagrees with Jesus, whether it's friends, family, influential people in the culture, our own desires and thoughts. Anytime anybody, anything disagrees with Jesus, we need to go with Jesus, what he says. And that will always be better. See, that's the problem. We hear other voices and we think, well, I think that would be better. No, 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 no. You go with what Jesus said. That's better for everyone. That's better for the ones we love. It's better for the world. It's better for everybody, even if they don't think so. What does that mean then? Well, what it means is it's absolutely critical that we know what God has spoken in his Son. We need to know how Jesus wants us to think and act about everything. So that's why when you come here, you hear from the Bible. That's why when we have groups in class the second hour, you're going to hear from the Bible. Why? God has spoken. And we need to know what he said. We need to trust him to rule over us. We need to trust him to rescue us for our good and for God's glory. Will you pray with me? Just give you a minute to think about that. and maybe the question to ask right now is, Am I trusting in Jesus to be my rescuer? Am I trusting Him to rescue me from sin? It's penalty. It's power, it's presence one day. Am I, am I relying on him to defeat my enemies, doing things his way, trusting him to settle the score, if there's a score to settle? And do I regard him as the highest authority, what he has said? Now I know we've all blown it many times. You may have blown it a hundred times on your way to church this morning. I certainly had some moments. Every one of us does. It's learning to trust him. But it starts with saying, yes, Lord. Yes, I receive you as God's rescuer. Deliver me from sin. Make me right with God. And saying, it begins, Lord, I say yes to you, your words, what you have said, not what I think or what anybody else thinks. And if you've never begun that journey with Jesus, you've never actually personally come to him and said, rescue me, rule over me, you can begin that today. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing you have to do to make yourself deserve, you know, worthy of that, earn that. You can't possibly earn it. You need God's anointed deliverer and Jesus is the one. And he came for this. This is why he came. And so you just ask him, by faith, say, Lord, make it, make it true for me. Be my king, be my rescuer, be my ruler. And he will do it. Take him at his word. So as I just going to be quiet for a minute. If you need to do that, want to do that, I encourage you. Just ask him. You say, well, I don't even know what to say. That's okay. It's really not the words. Just express the heart of what we've just been talking about. No, God, you are amazing. You spoke all these words, and you just made this beautiful portrait for us of a glorious king and then he came and you made it clear Jesus is this one. Father will you help each of us acknowledge, relate to uh, own him as our king and, and celebrate the great victory that our Messiah has won on the cross and will continue to Manifest in every area of our life as we trust Him. Lord, please do that work for your glory, God, and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name.